Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to show what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. And like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. This morning, we're going to hear from people in our community who are making a difference by connecting farms to schools, including a new approach called school-supported agriculture. Contrary to our usual live call-in format, this edition of Talk of the Towns is a series of taped interviews. We'll return to our live format later in the month. Creating productive links between farms and schools is part of a wider movement to champion local foods for a variety of reasons, including a desire for more food security. We'd all like to feel assured that food is literally within our reach. Supporting local farmers means that we don't have to rely on food from across the country or around the world. So not only do we benefit by enjoying the taste of local food, we feel good that we aren't using scarce oil resources to transport our food, and we aren't generating quite so many climate-changing emissions in the process. And keeping our money circulating in our local economy comes back to us in many other ways. The farmer spends the money at the feed store, the feed store clerk and the farmer put savings into the local bank. The local bank provides a loan to a small business owner who might be one of us. So to get started with this story, I talked to Sue DeBleek, the farm-to-school coordinator of Healthy Acadia on Mount Desert Island. As the farm-to-school coordinator, I'm working across Hancock County to uh, engage farm-to-school programs, which are programs that link um, farms to schools with purchasing relationships and that also involve things like curriculum about food and uh, school gardens and things like this. And so Healthy Acadia has been doing that work since 2005 in Hancock County um, and recently, as recently as 2007 expanded to Washington County. And so it's exciting to be able to work um, with the farm to school coordinator in Washington County and really create farm to school programs across the Down East region. Healthy Acadia is a healthy main partnership. Uh, we're a public health organization that is focused on Mount Desert Island and the surrounding communities. Um, one of the ways that it's looked at public health recently has been in food security. And so in addition to doing the farm to school work, Healthy Acadia also works on um, getting more nutritious meals for seniors and making sure that not only do we have uh, better food in schools, but that in general we have a more vibrant local food system so that um, people's nutrition is better. I asked Sue about her work at Iowa State University and what she's found since coming to Maine. I was recently at Iowa State University and um, there I was the farm to ISU coordinator and that project started up in 2005 and I've gotten to see a lot of changes both from starting that program there and coming into the program here. Farm to College is a little bit different because it's the institutions are a lot bigger and so I was used to working with this 
uh, institution that's spending $6 million on food a year. And then now here with small schools in Maine, I'm working with school cooks that have a much tighter budget and may only be um, serving 60 students a day instead of thousands of people a day. It, it has been exciting to jump into an existing project because when I was in Iowa, the local foods movement was still pretty nascent. And so the staff that I were work, was working with there weren't very interested in local foods and really saw it as a trend that and a fad that they thought would soon just be gone. But coming to Maine, I'm seeing that I'm sure people also went through that phase of thinking that it's a fad, but I'm excited to find that the school cooks here do see that it's a really valuable program and are really proud of what they're doing with Farm to School. People are already excited about it. So one thing that I'd like to mention that's a little bit different about being in Maine versus Iowa is that I find that young people haven't grown up on farms here, and and some people think that it's not really that important to... Um, to know agriculture, but I think it is important when there are when we're all eaters and we're all connected to this food system, and when our uh, farmer population is aging, and so we um, we really need to to make sure that that young people understand agriculture because we're going to need to be the ones that are doing it. Next, Sue talked about how schools are connecting themselves to farms and to local agriculture. Some of the ways that farms are linking to schools is a lot of them are offering their space and their time and energy to do educational field trips. And so one example is that the the Surrey School, the entire all the students from the school went to Morgan Bay Farm and got to look around, got to even harvest some vegetables and bring those veg- vegetables back for their school lunch the next day. Farmers get to share a little bit about what they're doing. Youth can see how much work goes into farming, but also how valuable being outside and working with animals and uh, fruits and vegetables is. And another way that farms are um, linking themselves to communities is by going to the schools themselves. So instead of the kids coming out to the farm, farmers go into the schools. Phil Norris, who's at Clayfield Farm in East Blue Hill, and I went around to four different schools this October and did an apple tasting, which was really exciting because he got to bring apples that he grew to these children at schools around the Blue Hill Peninsula and ask them what they thought about these different apples. And a lot of them hadn't tasted um, Maiden's Blush. You know, they've only had Golden Delicious and uh, Red Delicious and apples like that. And as far as um, Farm to School being a broad movement, it's happening around the country and it's finally getting some attention from the federal government. So um, the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, has put aside some money to support Farm to School. And also uh, Michelle Obama, our First Lady, has been planting a White House garden and talking about how kids do need to have access to this sort of food. I asked Sue about some of the ways that schools and farms got together traditionally. When the um, school lunch program was created, the federal government was paying farmers to grow food for the nearby schools. And um, we've kind of gotten away from that. And so I'm trying to bring it back to more of a community level because a lot of those farms um, that still sell to the government and that food eventually makes it to the schools are very big farms. 
And so we're looking at making this a a community effort where this farm that is down the road from a school is directly linked to it both by the food that they're bringing in there and also having the kids come out and learn more about the farm. Healthy Acadia is helping link farm to school programs in both Hancock and Washington counties. I asked Sue about some of the differences. I would say that one of the one of the struggles in Washington County is that the poverty level there is a lot higher and so there's a high rate of free and reduced lunch. Kids that are there are a lot of kids that are getting school lunch and that's the only option that they have for food, so there's even more need for bringing in this fresh local food. But one of the struggles is that Washington County has a lot fewer vegetable farms. And in the farms that it does have, a lot of them are seeking markets outside of Washington County. And so even though those farms want to be more strongly linked to their immediate communities, they aren't, they're having a hard time finding markets that are within Washington County. The Down East Farm to School Project has recently republished a directory of producers in Hancock and Washington counties, and I asked Sue to comment. The directory uh, is a list of local food producers, and the reasoning behind it is that whereas someone like me may get to know these farmers and have their contact information, uh, a lot of the cooks don't. And so this is giving them something where they can just look in this directory and find a farm. The first farm to school directory of local producers was made in 2007. And so we've updated that this year in 2010. We needed to make some updates to add more farms. And also we put in Hancock County and Washington County farms so that it's all all there in one booklet because like I said um, a lot of these Washington County farms are delivering into Hancock County and so that's one tool that we're trying to bring into every kitchen so that cooks will call up a farmer when they want local meat or when they want local apples and all these things. Next Sue talked about the two schools she's worked most closely with in Hancock County. So the Surrey School and Mount Desert Elementary School are the schools that have been doing farm to school in Hancock County the longest. Um, Both of them were pilot projects for farm to school in 2005. Surrey School, they've been buying local food from surrounding farms for their main harvest lunch and for a few other meals. They also do an annual school field trip. Mount Desert Elementary School has been doing farm to school since 2005 they've been buying a lot of local food. They've been buying local eggs, local vegetables, seafood, all these different things and bringing them right into their menus. And one of the one of the ways that their cook does that is she she understands that local food can be more expensive. And so when she does buy something like local beef, she won't give every kid a, a hamburger, but she'll put it in some sort of a soup or something else so that she can stretch out that food and make sure that all of the kids get the local food. At Mountain Desert Elementary School, they've also got a small school garden, and so that's one of the sources for their for their vegetables. I know that they want to expand that garden, and the principal is has this vision for uh, Mountain Desert Elementary School having a garden, having a greenhouse, and really not only growing some of its own food and creating links to these farmers, but also making sure that kids learn more about how to grow food and that they realize that they can, um, that can be something that they enjoy doing, um, either as just gardening at home, uh, being a farmer, or be some, being some sort of a landscaper and things like this. 
You are listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU Community Radio. We're focusing on food connections between farms and schools with examples from Hancock County in this pre-recorded program. Later on, we'll speak with Scott McFarland, principal, and Linda Mailhot, the school cook of Mount Desert Elementary School. We won't be taking your calls during this program, but we'll return to our live format later this month. In my interview with Sue DeBleek, the Farm to School Coordinator for Hancock County, I asked her about the new school-supported agriculture program. Recently, Healthy Acadia was awarded a grant from the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education program that is part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and the the money is going to fund this school-supported agriculture program. School-supported agriculture is a model that's similar to community-supported agriculture, which a lot of people are familiar with. It's where households buy a share in a farm early on in the growing season, and then throughout the growing season, they receive a box of vegetables once a week. And so we're using that idea mainly because farms and schools both need to know ahead of time that they're going to be having these this purchasing relationship and so school cooks need to know ahead of time because they don't have a lot of time when they're working in the fall to call farmers and then also farmers want to know that they have this market and so what's happening is that this this early spring that we're in right now I'm working to create agreements between farms and schools so that farmers will sell a box of vegetables to a school every week for six weeks. So far, we've got a few farmers and schools signed on. Um, Some of them think that six weeks is too short, and so they're extending it, and they're creating an agreement with their cook to say, I want to sell to you through September, through October, and into November. Within the school-supported agriculture agreement, schools are going to make some asks for what type of food that they want and they're not going to get a typical CSA box so they're not going to get a couple bunches of kale and some leeks and um, some kohlrabi but they're going to get primarily two vegetables that they're used to using a lot and so one example is carrots. Um, A lot of schools use carrots and they can use them raw in salad bars, they can use them in soups and other sauces and so these farms are going to be selling those schools uh, the foods that those schools are used to using. And in this program, the reason we're really excited about it is because of these agreements, we think that more local food purchasing is going to happen. In the past five years that this program has been going on, most schools have been participating in the main harvest lunch, which is in September. It's when the main Department of Education encourages schools to buy local food and serve a meal that's made of local food. And we're hoping to stretch that out. And so it's not just one day in the fall that these schools are buying locally, but it's throughout the fall when this food is available. One of the big complaints that we get when we first tell people about farm to school and they're skeptical of it is that the growing season and the school season are opposites, especially when you're talking about fruits and vegetables. And even though we're in Maine, there's quite a lot of produce and other foods that are available through the fall, the winter, and even into spring. And so we're trying to extend the the season that farmers are selling to schools beyond the main harvest lunch. So far, the reaction has been great. I've already been speaking to a handful of schools and farmers, and they're all really excited about piloting the idea. And we're hoping to have at least 10 schools between Washington and Hancock County sign up to do a school 
supported agriculture agreement this fall. So with a typical community supported agriculture program, a household will pay in advance for their share for their boxes of vegetables. That can't quite happen with schools because they've got a different uh, purchasing system. And so the agreement is going to happen this spring, but the payments for the actual vegetables that are delivered won't be made until the fall because that's, that's how the school budget systems work. Communities can be benefit economically from having farm-to-school programs. Um, farm-to-school programs are going to help their local economy. They're going to keep more dollars in the community, which is really important in Maine when we've got these small rural communities that need to hold on to those local dollars. With Sue DeBleek's descriptions of school-supported agriculture fresh in my mind, I drove down to Northeast Harbor and visited with folks at the Mount Desert Elementary School, starting with Scott McFarland, the school principal, and later with Linda Mailhot, the school cook. Scott, if you could um, give us a kind of introduction to your school, give us a kind of a description of the building that we're sitting in today. Well, our school, I guess you would probably classify as a, as a small elementary school. We have about 153 students, K through 8. And uh, we, have, we went through a remodeling process about eight years ago, uh, which included really a remodeling, also an addition of a brand new kitchen and cafeteria space, which um, was actually one of the, you know, one of the stimulus for, for changing some of the ways we, we, we did lunch here at our school. It has a lot of history, built in the 50s. So, um, but with our renovation, we basically uh, not only renovated everything, but added about 10,000 square feet of, of new space as well. So uh, it feels like a new building to us, but it certainly has a lot of history. Our main goal is to meet the needs of, of, of our students. It's, it's, um, we'll do whatever we need to do to, to meet the needs. Uh, and because of that, I think we have a culture, an atmosphere uh, that, that presents itself as a very caring school. People talk about when they walk in the school and they just feel it. They, you know, there's something in the air about it. There's, there's a climate that's almost palpable. And, and it's all, I think, about, um, about the type of, of caring that we do for, for kids. Uh, and that's what most people feel when they do come in our school. Tell us a little bit about how you um, first got interested in, in school uh, food and part of that caring environment. Well, you know, I, again, I give all the credit to, to Linda Mailhot. I mean, she's the one that is really the, the stimulus for change. I always thought my role as a principal is to, is to really listen to the experts around me. And then I'm merely a facilitator. I'm the one that helps make it happen, um, provide all the, all the resources necessary to make, those, make whatever changes that we, that we deem are necessary. So in this case, Linda is the expert. She saw our need. Um, and uh, at that point, my job was really only just to support that those changes. And um, so that's the fortunate thing about our, as principal here at our school, I'm just surrounded by just such incredible people that have such a vast knowledge in a sense of their own profession that it makes my job easy. I just sit there and, and, and let things get done by, uh, by supporting them. Remind us what school lunch was like for you as a, as a, as a student. Well, <laughs> there's not a lot I remember which says something for itself, but I mean, I think everybody can relate to pig in a blanket. Uh, that was something that, you know, we would, uh, would often make fun of, but I, I think we all remember the canned vegetables, the um, certain lackluster lunches, um, and really a, a menu that did not change at all over the years. So um, I don't think there's anybody that has fond memories of school lunch. 
Some listeners might say, well, Town of Mount Desert, you've got high property values. You could make this work, whatever the budget situation was. But talk about what it actually costs to, to kind of think about new and, and new ways to provide fresh local food. Well, actually, you know, the, it's, it's probably one of the greatest myths is that, you know, eating healthy is is a more expensive way of doing business. I don't think it takes more money. I think it takes more creativity. And that's where Linda and and um, and her assistant Jan really excel. They they will do they will be creative on how they can present foods to kids that that are healthier options. Um, the state actually asked us to report out in terms of our costs of meals. And if you take labor out of it, because labor is probably the one piece that is uh, has so much variability from school school to school. It might be you have, might have an older staff that makes more money, or or some people that don't have the benefits because of their spouse's benefits. So if you take the if you take all that out of the scenario and you really look at what it costs to produce a meal in terms of the materials you have to buy um, our per meal cost is actually less than a lot of traditional lunch programs so uh, that's probably the greatest message message i could get out is it's not necessarily more expensive it's not necessarily it's, it's being more creative um, for example because pr- we all know when we go to the supermarket one can make an argument that organic food is expensive but one could also make the argument that uh, c- canned convenient processed food is also expensive so um, one quick example would be instead of linda buying processed chicken breasts with the breading and everything already on it she'll order just regular chicken breasts themselves and make her own uh, coating make her own uh, menu uh, her, her own dish out of that chicken and probably doing so less than it would cost to, to buy the processed chicken how about um, the role that parents have played in in their interest in uh, fresh local food how have you seen that develop over the years well I think we certainly I think in terms of the demographics of our of our community is we have we have a lot of people that are, are really educated families in terms of um, uh, knowing what's right for their kids, how to eat properly, and stuff. So we we come into this with a with a clientele that's more than willing to be great partners with us in this. I mean, because they they themselves have those values as a family, you know. So we're just really doing things that are that are supporting their own values at home. I'd say that those families that don't have that as much interest in eating healthy, I think they're learning along the way, from, mostly from their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, my, my kids at home, I mean, whenever we go shopping, they're looking at labels now, even though they might gro- moan and groan on the surface about some of the things we try to do as parents. It's interesting that they're the first ones that are looking at labels if we go into a grocery store and stuff. So it's come at it in a couple of, of directions. I think number one is we have... Uh, students that really become interested in this, and they're helping educate their own families. But the other thing, piece of it is that we have this um, these this demographics of these families that that have a vast knowledge about eating healthy and and and, and are supporting what we do. Did you have to do much convincing of the school board um, to to make these kind of evolutionary changes in in uh, how you do food? Not at all. They're they're as much champions of this as, as anyone else. I mean, who who wouldn't be? I mean, especially when it when you can prove that it's not costing any more money to do this. What we want, what what we do here at our school, we do whatever it takes for our kids. You know, and maybe it does if it means a little more money, or if it needs means a little more more time, or whatever the case may be. If it's right for kids, it's right for all of us. Um, you've already got a small garden, and then um, plans for a greenhouse. Yeah, we, we want to keep everything moving along. We, we certainly, um, 
we seem to think that the time is ripe for a lot of these things to be happening, but we're now looking at exploring a, a large uh, greenhouse project, which I think is going to have all kinds of implications on our school, not just a lunch program, but the one thing that would provide for our lunch program is a, is a source of, um, of some organic uh, vegetables during the year. Uh, even though we've had a great relationship with, with uh, Beach Hill Farms, sometimes uh, the type of produce that's available for us isn't necessarily consistent and uh, depend on the time of year in terms of availability. So we'd be hoping to, to, to be growing certain things year-round that, that our lunch program could utilize plus have a more bountiful uh, harvest in, in our fall. So that's one piece of it. The other piece of it is our, is our curriculum piece. We just want to uh, infuse a lot of the things that we're doing um, curriculum-wise, be it math, science, or whatever it might be. Uh, there's unlimited possibilities. And really turn the greenhouse into a learning lab where a lot of that learning is going to take place. So it's not just a greenhouse for our lunch program. It's a learning lab. Um, we, we envision a partnership with the College of Atlantic in terms of their, their student teachers or some of their sustainable agricultural programs or whatever it might be. I see that um, broadening as well. And then the, another piece of it is the whole entrepreneurship with our students in terms of helping them uh, um, you know, learn how to keep that greenhouse uh, self-sustainable, uh, maybe s selling seedlings in the spring or whatever it might be. So there's, there's, a, there's a huge amount that could happen with that greenhouse. So we're excited to go forward with this particular project. We'll, hopefully we'll um, be getting going in another year or so. You're listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU Community Radio. Today we're focusing on food connections between farms and schools with examples from Hancock County. This is a pre-recorded program, so we won't take your calls, but we will return to our live format next month. In my interview with Sue DeBleek, Farm to School Coordinator in Hancock County, she provided a great introduction to Linda Mailhot, the school cook at Mount Desert Elementary School, and her culinary club. Uh, so, so a lot of farm to school advocates talk about how the cafeteria is the biggest classroom in a school. And that's definitely the case at Mount Desert Elementary School. The school cook there has a culinary club. And so every morning, kids volunteer to come in at uh, 6.30 in the morning to help in the kitchen. And so um, even though uh, Linda Mailhot's title is that she's the head cook, she's the food service uh, staff. She is also a teacher and she's engaging these youth in how to chop up vegetables and how to put together a salad bar and all these other things. Um, and that's been a really great way for the kids to learn a little bit more about food. And, um, and it's made it easier for her to make it so that she offers more fresh food because she's got extra hands to help her. We do have quite a a group of students that help in the cafeteria and in the kitchen and uh, we just just seems to be ongoing with students all day um, from we have special ed students helping they have their chores and we just have so much student involvement and interest in what we're doing and I think so many of the students really feel an ownership of the program, that it's their lunch program, it's not mine or, or the school's, and it's theirs, and that they have some say in how it's run and what they think should be happening. It must have taken um, some time to get to that stage. Tell us about your first interest in, in, in introducing more fresh and local foods to um, the, the school menu. 
Well, when we opened the new school, well, the renovated school, uh, we decided to run the lunch program differently. Instead of the traditional lunch where they just went through the line and I scooped on some canned vegetables and uh, a processed chicken nugget and another potato dish or some such thing and sent them on their way with a cookie, um, we decided that maybe we could experiment a little bit um, and possibly treat children as we would an adult. You wouldn't go to a restaurant that served you that way. And so I thought if we set the cafeteria up in a restaurant style, we'd, we'd have more interest, which we have had. Um, also, I thought it would be an opportunity to teach the students how to feed themselves properly. Um, rather than just put the food on their tray and let them dump it in the trash, <laughs> that they would have to build their own meal, learn how to build a balanced meal, and then be responsible for eating what they chose. So people, um, students come into the cafeteria, and, and what do they see arrayed before them? How do they actually get food on their tray? Well, they go start at the beginning of the uh, buffet, and down at the beginning we have uh, local fresh-baked bread, um, and then they just proceed down through a variety of vegetables and fruits, up to about 30 items or more. Um, they can make a meal out of that if they wish. We also have eggs and uh, ham and turkey, cheeses. So a complete meal could be made just at that point. Then we have the entree window, the hot entree or the entree of the day, and they can come over and have that if they wish. But they don't have to. It's up to them. So if they don't feel like Fiesta chicken pizza today, they didn't have to have it as long as they could prove that they constructed a balanced meal for themselves. So what's, what's the um, constructing piece look like and, and how do you get involved in that? Um, say a student comes in and he only takes the dessert. Well, we always keep the dessert for last <laughs> and hand that out. But um, a student, let's say, would start, go down the line, they'd uh, take a piece of bread and an apple, and today we had Fiesta chicken pizza and corn. He'd arrive and say, I really don't want either one of these. Well, then I'd say, you need to go back and start over again. And we'll keep doing that until you have the balanced meal that you're going to eat. So they've gotten it over time. In they other words, um, it, it doesn't take uh, too many times where no, they sent, you're it, sent back. It doesn't because the, one of the biggest things is to be able to sit with your friends and chat at lunchtime. So if you're going through the line about five times, you're not sitting and chatting. <laughs> so the impetus is there to, to do it right mm -hmm. the first time. So as you began to introduce this, um, this buffet style, uh, what were some of the reactions, the initial reactions perhaps, um, that, that uh, you um, experienced when you introduced the new, new style? A great deal of excitement. They were absolutely thrilled. Um, they just really couldn't believe it. They, they were just so happy. They'd, you know, we had adults there to help them because it was a bit overwhelming at first, like all this food wouldn't, you know, do they want me to eat all of this? And it was no, you know, we just assisted them, you know, do you want, do you prefer carrots or would you like some uh, broccoli today? Or do, would you rather wait and get the warm green beans? You know, it was just guiding them along gently. Um, did you get different reactions based on age? Yes. The olders really were like, whoa, wow, this is great. It's about time, you know, and so on. Uh, and the younger ones, of course, they're very quiet in kindergarten when they first go through. 
But we do. We go from kindergarten to eighth grade, and they all manage. When you give uh, students a choice in what they're eating, do you see less waste, and th therefore does that um, help save money? I believe so. I believe so. Um, if a student likes apples and doesn't like carrots and they have a choice between apples and carrots, they're much more likely to eat that apple instead of putting what, whatever it is you forced onto their tray into the trash. Tell, tell us a little about um, the culinary club that you've developed. Uh, how, how does that work? Well, we have a group of students who take a great deal of interest in the lunch program and they just enjoy coming into the kitchen, listening to the music, dancing and socializing, and they do a great deal of work, and we really reinforce with them what a difference they make, that by doing the dishes for us, by helping cut up that ham, by doing these things, they allow Jan and I to do more. So uh, let's say on Friday morning, which is, we only give dessert one day a week, so on Friday morning, if you would like me to make that apple crisp, well, somebody's going to have to help me. You know, I can't do that and this, so, you know, they pitch right in. Do you see them taking the, those interests that they might develop um, in the culinary club back into the classroom or back home? Yes, I do. Um, we have uh, students who have come in and told me that uh, they've taken recipes home to their parents. They've become family favorites that they want recipes from me. How do you do this? How do you do that? I mean, we've just had so much interest from the students. And, and parents get involved as, as volunteers as well? Yes, they have. We have parents who come in, help supervise the children as they go through the salad bar or, you know, the buffet line. They come in and they help put away everything from the salad bar and we have to keep daily records. We have parents who help do that students who do it as well. And, and where do you source your foods? Um, I suppose it's, it's a challenge. Meet the budget um, that, that Scott has talked about. Um, where do you get your foods and, and, and how has that worked out? Well, like every other school, we have our major commercial supplier. In our case right now, it's Cisco. Um, but I'm constantly on the lookout for fresh local foods. I'm working very closely with Sue DeBleek from Healthy Acadia and she helps me get in contact with local farms. She may call me up and say, there's a farmer in Washington County who has uh, fresh plums for sale. Now, I never knew we were growing plums in Maine, but we've had, so that, you know, she'll put me in contact with him. I'll call him up and down. He'll come with the plums and we'll, we'll offer them. I'm constantly stopping at local farm stands for various promotions, always on the lookout with local farms. Uh, I've reached out to a farm in Franklin called Shalom Farm, and we're going to buy farm shares from them for this fall, so we'll be guaranteed a supply of fresh local produce. She's going to specifically grow carrots and other vegetables for us. So that's one of the programs that um, Sue DeBleek and the Farm to School program mm -hmm. is promoting, the idea that you would um, get together with a farmer ahead of time, kind of place a, an order. So, um, again, remind me of the kinds of things that you might hope to buy from Shalom Farm. Carrots, broccoli, lettuce, different salad greens, onions, tomatoes, cucumbers. We, we go through so many vegetables, and we're open to anything. Uh, I'll take leeks and try and do something with it. We'll take herbs, anything we can get. Do you have to have uh, storage facilities for some of those things? Well, that will be a challenge. Um, we do have a good size walk-in refrigerator, and we do have a good 
climate-controlled storage room. So that will help quite a bit. And uh, the other year I did manage to store 60 pounds of carrots. I bought them in the fall, and they were fine right up until after Christmas when they ran out. And I might add, when they did run out, I heard complaints when I went back to the carrots from Cisco. Mm -hmm. They weren't as sweet. So um, what advice would you give to um, other schools um, that might be thinking about introducing more fresh and local uh, food into their, into their menus? Uh, what would you say to, to parents or to school boards or anybody that might be interested? Well, I'd say start slowly. Try it out. You don't have to do everything at once. Um, but instead of using uh, frozen vegetables or, or canned, try using some local vegetables, especially in the fall when it's readily available. And uh, I know Healthy Acadia has been very, very helpful to me. Uh, I'm sure they could provide recipes, because oftentimes I'll hear people say, what in heaven's name do you do with that acorn squash? Well, we cut it in half and bake it and cut it in little pie slices. So it's really an easy preparation. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a nightmare, <laughs> you know. So I, I would advise uh, them just to try very slowly and gauge the response and then take it from there. I think, I think they'd be very surprised how welcome it would be to parents, the teaching staff, every, all the staff, and especially the kids. You recently were at a uh, gathering of, of school uh, cooks and, and some teachers and, and some community members talking about the farm-to-school kind of movement. What were people curious about when they were there at that conference? Usually it's the cost. Mm -hmm. Everyone is, you, they just feel that they can't even proceed because of the cost, especially in this budget climate. We have so many cutbacks in the classrooms everywhere. That how, how can we possibly go to our administrators and say we want an increase? Well, you don't have to, again, start slowly. And as Scott mentioned, instead of buying the breaded chicken breast, buy a regular chicken breast. Make your own marinade. It's, you know, just try one step at a time. I think they'd be very surprised. Are you getting the kind of training, professional development opportunities? Is that something that another school might have to, to take on to help people kind of make the shift from um, uh, processed food to pro food that you process yourself and you, that you make yourself? I have to be honest and say I, I really don't think there are enough training opportunities out there. The state does provide a great deal of training, but it's mostly along the lines of how to follow all the guidelines that the state sets up. Um, with encouragement towards fresh local food. But uh, we have to look back to the days when, you know, cafeteria help and cooks weren't expected to be gourmet chefs. To open a bag of frozen vegetables or to prepare a vegetable casserole for a hundred or plus, it, it does take a certain skill set. And I don't really feel that anybody is out there providing that. I, I would really like to see more classes on, you know, how do we use this food that you want us to use? Mm -hmm. What do you do with winter squash when you have to cook for? And there's only two of you in a kitchen, and you have only X amount of hours to do it. So those are the kinds of practical um, details that um, people would want to think about, but you've said start small, experiment, and kind of feel your way. As you think about um, the, the recipes that you've kind of incorporated local fresh foods, are there any favorites that, that uh, come to mind that, that kids um, really, really like? Well, I just got a request today for crunchy kale, and I, that's something I thought would, 
that was a real leap of faith. <laughs> I put it out there, but I didn't didn't think it would go. But they, they love it. What's crunchy kale? Well, it's very simple. Uh, I had the culinary arts club take all the stems out of the fresh local kale, and we uh, washed it, seasoned it, put it on a sheet pan, put it in the oven for 20 minutes, and it came out very crunchy and flavorful. And we serve that instead of chips. Scott, anything you want to add as you've listened to Linda describe the uh, the, the food program? Well, it's just the the kale story reminds me of of one of the things that that I think Linda does a great job is 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 getting kids to take some risks. Uh, on the day of the kale, I remember I was actually down there and I was going around <laughs> and I was eating it with the students just to model it. And and surprising the number, almost every student that I went to tried it. Because I was trying it, and um, and and a lot of them l- really liked it. Linda does that all the time with a new with a new uh, a, if it's a new dish, she'll give them a little sample to say, "Go ahead and try it. If you don't want to eat it, you don't have to, but just try it a little bit." So she really encourages taking risk. And I think the other thing is, um, I guess the the point one point I want to make about advice for other other schools is just you can get the sense listening to Linda is. Her job is much bigger than just putting out food for the day. Uh, she, you, you heard her go, the fact that she goes around and at, to different farms and looks for opportunities. She's, she's involved with Healthy Acadia in terms of using them for resources. Uh, the culinary club would not happen unless she wanted them in the kitchen. You know, the, the kids are there because they feel, they feel that, that, that they're needed. They feel empowered. Uh, all those things, those are all intangibles that, that you can't just prescribe for a program. You need to have the right people in the right position to, to pull this off. And, um, and she does that. I, I, the thing I love about Linda is whenever we sit down and, and if I come up with a, a suggestion or an idea, she's absolutely willing to listen to it and, and move on. We're, we're just meeting today just trying to think about how we can make it a little easier for our K through three. We're going to try it. We're going to try to uh, start more composting at this point. These are all things that uh, should every, have every right to say, whoa, Scott, hold on a minute. Let's just slow down or whatever. But she's, she's a willing participant in all this. I got to tell you, she's, that's the key to the program. Uh, you know, I can't even begin to say how much she has meant to she and Jan Carroll have meant to our school. I mean, they're they're um, they're like mothers to our children, um, and and the kids have a great deal of in the in the staff have a great deal of respect for what they're doing. And that's why it works because it's completely in line with everything we believe in. And um, not that, you know, not that we're not perfect, but we keep looking for ways to make improvements and such. And, and, and that's what we continue to do. Because I think as long as you can keep evolving and, uh, and keep away from, from stagnancy, I think you're going to keep moving in the right direction. That's what we intend to do. You're listening to Talk of the Towns here on WERU Community Radio. We're focusing on food connections between farms and schools with examples from Hancock County in this pre-recorded program. We've heard from Sue DeBleek, Farm to School Coordinator for Healthy Acadia, and from Linda Mailhot and Scott McFarland of Mount Desert Elementary School. Next, we visit with Charlotte Young of Shalom Orchard Organic Farm and Winery. We won't be taking your calls during this program, but we'll return to our live format later this month. Well, Charlotte, tell us a little bit about um, Shalom Orchard and Organic Farm. Tell us a little bit about how you got started here. 
Uh, we bought the farm in 1995 and moved from Connecticut. I have had farms my whole adult life. And um, in Connecticut, I actually, with my former husband, owned a 15-acre vineyard and winery. And uh, when Jim and I got together and decided to move to Maine, we found this farm. And here were a thousand apple trees, eight acres of wild Maine blueberries, cherries, raspberries, kiwis, strawberries. And I said, wine. <laughs> seemed the logical thing to me. So that's how we got started here. Now, since we moved here, we have expanded a great deal into vegetables as well, as well as the fruits and the wines. And uh, we have about a 25-family CSA, community-supported agriculture. Um, we have sheep. We have chickens for meat and for eggs. Uh, we, I spin, I'm a spinner, and so I spin wool and dye it with plants. So we have quite a lot going on here. We have wonderful apprentices who help us out. Well, we've already started planting. We, during those beautiful two weeks we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, we got out and started putting uh, spinach and lettuce in. We put it under glass, um, some windows that we had just to go ahead and get started because we couldn't stand it. We had to get our hands in the dirt. Tell us a little bit about um, your own background and how you got interested in agriculture at the very beginning. Oh, me. My mother wondered what tree I fell off of. <laughs> I, um, I never was involved in farming growing up in South Carolina, uh, but when my husband and I moved to New Jersey back in the early 70s, we, we rented a cottage on a beautiful farm, and the the farm, the people who owned it, it was really an estate. She taught me my first lessons in, in growing vegetables. And the first time I saw a pea grow up and make a beautiful flower and then make a wonderful vegetable, I was hooked. So I started having gardens, big, big gardens. And then we bought a small farm in New Jersey. And then everywhere we lived, and uh, everywhere I've lived, I've had a farm. It's just something that, I don't know, it caught hold of me. And once it catches hold of you, you're, you're lost. <laughs> you're going to have to be planting something in the ground for the rest of your life. Tell us about um, the farm itself. Um, as I drove up the hill, I just got this picture of, of whoever started this operation must have uh, picked it for its location and, and its aspect to the sun. And tell us a little bit about what you see as you walk out on, in the fields, in the, in the orchards. Well, the farm is about 75 acres. About 20 are open as either blueberries, apples, pasture, and garden. The, hill, the farm is located on the top of a high ridge, and it's a beautiful panoramic views all the way around. And uh, we can see Mount Desert Island and uh, the Blue Hill and, and all the hills of Acadia. Um, I think the, as a farmer, the, um, the the elevation gives us um, earlier uh, frost-free dates and later frost-free dates because the cold air goes down the hill. And uh, so we, we have a, a longer growing season, probably about three weeks longer than most folks around here. Um, we also have a beautiful blueberry barren. It, um, it was known as the orchard 
and the old timers told us about it, that the size of the berries gave it very special qualities because the morning fogs lie over the, the blueberry barrens and hydrate the berries. So we have uh, beautiful berries. Um, the farm has been farmed as long as anybody can remember. We believe the house was built around the 1840s. We know that um, a minister named Father Cress lived here back in the 60s and gave it the name Shalom Farm. And he had about 200 sheep. And um, then it was another owner had it, gave it a different name. But when we found it and they told us the name, we said, perfect. We said, peace with nature. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about um, the, the kinds of things that you're, you're uh, growing and the, and the products that, um, that result from that. Well, of course, we are a certified organic farm. And we also are the only certified organic winery on the East Coast. Uh, there are only about 11 certified organic wineries. So we're extremely um, strong advocates for organic growing. Um, we make a wide variety of products. Um, we have all of the, the fruits uh, in their natural state, but we also make uh, apple cider, and um, then we make jams and jelly, jams from our, from our fruit. We make some syrups like cider syrup and blueberry syrup. Of course, we have our yarns. So we, we produce quite a wide variety of products. So it sounds like um, you've, um, in some ways, recreated what a farm was back in the 1800s. It was very um, diverse in its nature, and uh, you're taking advantage of everything that, that you can grow. That's correct. And we're we're very excited about community-supported agriculture because, of course, that was the way farms operated. The community around the farm got their products from the farm, their eggs, milk, meats, and vegetables. And we are, you know, really hopeful that that model will continue to grow, and it seems to be just growing like wildfire. In addition to community-supported agriculture, what are some of the markets that you try to, to reach? Um, uh, do you go to farmers' markets? Do you um, have customers come to the farm? How do you, how do you market your goods? Primarily through the uh, CSA. However, we do have a number of folks that are regular customers in the community. There are four beautiful ponds in this area, and a lot of the summer folk stop by and, and buy vegetables in the summer. We don't go to farmer's markets, but one of our apprentices is extremely interested in thinking about that for next season, not this season, but next season. Mm -hmm. Well, how did you get um, interested in or, or connected to Mount Desert Elementary School and this notion of school-supported agriculture? Well, we have a wonderful apprentice, Alice Fernald, and her mother is the school nurse at Mount Desert Elementary School, and Alice herself um, subs there some. And she told me about their food director, um, and Linda Mailhot, and that she was very interested in our farm and that she, she might like to buy from us next year. And about that time, Sue DeBleek got hold of us and told us about the school-supported agriculture model, which we just think is very exciting. I, I know that Linda has worked hard to bring local products into the school lunchroom, 
but actually creating an agreement between the school and the farm makes it, um, just like I'm planning how many carrots to grow for them, I can plan how many vegetables to count on to take to them, and they can count on those vegetables from us every week. So we'll be delivering twice a week to the school on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and um, they want 20 pounds of carrots a week <laughs> along with a lot of other vegetables. So we're excited. We'll be growing a specific uh, specifically for them, but um, it's a predictable market. Um, certainly the connection with the school, the whole idea of, of getting kids connected to where their food comes from is, is part of the, the payoff for us because this is something we're really, really supportive of. And I have at, I spoke with the principal, and the kids are going to come out in June and see the little baby plants um, growing, and then they'll come back in September and actually see their vegetables growing in the field that are going to be in their lunchroom that week. Uh, every time we have field trips out here, I am really surprised at how many kids have never been to a farm. And uh, certainly this is going to help them um, have a very good idea of where their food is coming from. And also, they're developing a curriculum um, which incorporates a greenhouse um, through from K through 8, which is wonderful. And that's, I believe, they're consulting with College of the Atlantic for that program. So this, this whole approach seems to be part of uh, a trend in Hancock County and throughout coastal Maine um, to really revitalize um, small-scale, locally produced food. Tell us a little bit about what your hopes are for that trend in the future. Well, I think you've probably heard the word locavore. Um, certainly, buying locally is, is um, an, an idea that has caught on. And uh, it's wonderful to see all the ways that this is manifesting. The grocery stores are buying from local farms. Um, you know, the CSA model has just taken hold. Um, and, and having schools with local food for their kids is just amazing. So we, we're very excited. To wrap up our program, we'll turn back to Sue DeBleek, the Farm to School Coordinator for Healthy Acadia, for her hopes about the future of school-supported agriculture. Since our interview, she's secured agreements between local farms and schools in Sedgwick, Penobscot, and Castine, along with those at the Surrey School and Mount Desert Elementary. If you'd like more information about how school-supported agriculture might work in your community, please contact Sue at 207-288. 5331 or visit the Healthy Acadia website. Generally parents um, can be the greatest supporters for farm to school. Um, my recommendation to any parent who wants to see more of this food in their school is to find out what's already happening and to support what is happening. Sometimes it's easy for someone like me to get frustrated if good food isn't being served, but I think it's good for anybody to learn about school food and learn how difficult it is to put a nutritious meal on a plate and um, really sh show some appreciation for what the school cooks are doing already because they're doing a lot. The way that a lot of parents are involved is they volunteer to help with school gardens. Um, sometimes they volunteer to pick up uh, local food delivery. Um, other times they help put together local food events. But I would say being a being a supporter and a and a resource to their 
to their school cook is the best thing that they can do to help out. For anybody who's interested in farm to school in their own community, I would recommend finding out what's happening and trying to link in to projects that are already that already exist. So for example, if, if there's a 10 square foot school garden at your school, maybe think about volunteering for that and trying to make it bigger and helping out during the summertime with those school gardens. Every school has a wellness policy and if people want they can be on a committee to influence each school's wellness policy and their health programs. If parents are interested, if community members are interested, they can put in their voice that they want to see school wellness policies that make a preference for local food. My hope as the farm to school coordinator is that we can deepen the knowledge about the food system that students have and show students how deep the links go between communities, the earth, consumers, and producers when it comes to food. Um, so my, I guess my goal is to make it so that kids know how eating one carrot connects them to the rest of the world. I also want to make it so that farms uh, and fisheries are viable livelihoods that people can pursue. We need to increase their access to markets and make sure that these, these farms and these fisheries are linked to the community. And then as far as communities go, it's really important to strengthen ties between schools and farms and also create local cultures that are, f- that are very proud of the farms. Well, we've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnain House Highland Music recording. Thanks to our guests for this pre-recorded program, Sue DeBleek, Healthy Acadia's Farm to School Coordinator in Hancock County, along with Linda Mailhot, the school cook, and Scott McFarland, the principal of Mount Desert Elementary School. We also spoke with Charlotte Young of Shalom Orchard Organic Farm and Winery in Franklin. Thanks to our underwriters, And thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.